Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Back in chapter 1, verses 20 through 33, wisdom was 
personified as a woman. And we see that here again in chapter 8. In the first three verses, we read the call of Lady Wisdom. Does not wisdom call? The obvious answer to that rhetorical question is, yes, she does call. She raises her voice and she cries aloud. Does she do so in private? Does she do so in secret? In a dark alley, in a back room, through a secret door, is she hard to find? No. She raises her voice publicly in the busiest places she can find, at the heights beside the way, the crossroads, beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals. She raises her voice to be heard in the places where the people pass by, in the places where people congregate. What is the picture we are given here? The picture is not that it's possible to find her if you look hard enough. Rather, the picture is that she is hard to miss. She is actively and aggressively trying to get our attention. As a matter of fact, we might conclude from these verses that if we fail to hear Lady Wisdom, it's because of our own choice. It's a matter of willful ignorance. The call of Lady Wisdom in verses 1 through 3 teaches us something very important about the Lord. The Lord reveals himself. The Lord imparts knowledge. And the Lord gives wisdom. He wants us to possess wisdom. And he's not making it hard for us to gain it. In James 1.5 we read, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given him. The Lord delights to give wisdom to everyone who humbly seeks wisdom in him. In the call of wisdom, wisdom is personified as a woman, a woman who calls aloud to everyone indiscriminately, impressing on us that the Lord desires to give wisdom to his people. Brothers and sisters, the Lord does not withhold wisdom. He delights to give us wisdom, to give us wisdom generously. That does not mean that when we pray and ask God for wisdom, all of a sudden he's going to drop wisdom on us like a data dump, like a bomb, like a bolt of lightning, suddenly increasing our wisdom tenfold. No, it is a process. He desires us to continually come to him to seek wisdom, to continually seek wisdom in him through his word and in, and in prayer and in community amongst believers. He desires us to continually come to him. And as we continually come to him patiently seeking wisdom in him, he will give us wisdom. He will not withhold, but he will be generous in answering that prayer. So with the image in our minds of Lady Wisdom calling out loudly, publicly, and indiscriminately, we turn our attention to her message. 
In verses 4 through 36, we hear her message. What does she say when she calls out loudly and publicly? What is so important that she must shout her message in the busiest and most public places? Well, let's take a closer look. In verses 4 and 5, she addressed her audience. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. First, she addresses mankind. Her appeal is broad. She calls out to you, O men, and the children of man. She was calling out to anyone who will listen. Moreover, she calls out to those who are simple, to those who are fools. In other, ones, no, in other words, no one is excluded from her invitation. Not even those who up to this point have been dull, unwise, and foolish. One commentator notes these terms likely refer to those who have not embraced the covenant but are still invited to do so. The Lord's people, the people of Israel, were His people, the covenant community. After the Lord redeemed them out of Egypt, He brought them to Mount Sinai where He entered into a covenant relationship with them. He chose them as His special people. They were to be His people. He was their God. They were to honor Him and love Him as He loved them. They were to obey His law, rightly living in relationship with Him, enjoying His presence among them, glorifying Him in the world as His people, demonstrating His glory, His goodness, His wisdom, and how they lived in right relationship with Him in obedience to the law. What a special privilege it was for them to be the Lord's people to be the covenant community of the one true and living God. Sadly, throughout their history, we see they failed to honor the covenant the Lord had established with them. Time and time again, they broke God's law, perpetuated injustice, committed all kinds of immorality, and worshipped many false gods. Yet here, Lady Wisdom is calling even to those who had not embraced the covenant, who were fools, who were unwise. It was not too late. She was calling out to everyone. For anyone who hears her voice then, it is not too late to turn. But turn you must. She was not pontificating. She was not musing. She was not pondering. She was not waxing eloquently. No, she was delivering an urgent message that requires an urgent response. She calls on all who hear to learn, to gain prudence, to understand wisdom. As we have seen and we'll see again, this is not merely an intellectual exercise. Rather, the Lord seeks to shape our hearts and minds through His Word. So she begins her message with a broad appeal, urgently calling upon all who hear 
to respond. Then in verses 6 through 11, she gave a command to listen and provided the reasons we should listen. The reason we should give our attention and listen to Lady Wisdom is that she proclaims what is noble or trustworthy, what is right and what is true. She has nothing to do with wickedness and she does not twist or distort the truth. Rather, her words are righteous. How refreshing is that? Do you ever grow weary of all the instances and examples in our world of words being twisted, true knowledge being ignored, and distortions of truth being embraced and perpetuated? Well, that is not a problem with Lady Wisdom. There is nothing twisted and crooked in her words. She speaks the truth. But look again at verse 9. Her words are only straight to him who understands. And they are only right to those who find knowledge. Her wisdom doesn't seem straight to those who don't understand and her words don't seem right to those who are in darkness. In Proverbs 3, 5, we are exhorted, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We are called to put our trust in the Lord and his word, not in our own understanding. Only when we humble ourselves and repent of being wise in our own eyes and fully trust in him, do we see the beauty, power, and wisdom of his word. Only then will we have eyes to see that his words are straight and they are right. We are only able to see that his words are right and straight when we place ourselves under his word. You can only see the beauty, the goodness, the trustworthiness of his words from the inside from a place of submission and humility. Those who are in darkness fail to see the truth, beauty, and goodness of God's word because they can only be known by those who humble themselves and trust in the Lord. C.S. Lewis wrote a series of essays on theology and ethics, and the title of the collected essays is God in the Dock. This was not a shipping reference. In the dock refers to a courtroom. In criminal cases in English courts, they place in the, the, the place in the courtroom where the accused sat while they stood on trial was called the dock. Regarding this analogy, Lewis wrote, the ancient man approached God as the accused person approaches his 
judge. For the modern man, the roles are quite reversed. For, for the modern man, he is the judge. God is in the dock. He is quite a kindly judge. If God should have a reasonable defense for being the God who permits war, poverty, and disease, he is ready to listen to it. The trial may even end in God's acquittal. But the important thing is that man is on the bench and God is in the dock. Modern man, people all around us, are placing God in the dock. People treat themselves as though they are the judge and God is the one on trial. Perhaps the most significant way we see this today is in critiques of God's word. Maybe you have heard people say the God of the Bible is a moral monster. Perhaps you hear someone say the Bible is full of contradictions. Or maybe you'll hear the critique that the manuscripts that we have discovered of the Bible are full of errors. The Bible was just a bunch of men getting together, writing down their own thoughts and beliefs about God. There are many critiques about God's Word, and brothers and sisters, this has been the case from the very beginning. It was Satan who said, did God really say? That line of attack, that line of critique, undermining God's Word, has been happening from the beginning. So we should not be surprised when modern man critiques God's word. Now to be sure, certain, there are many wonderful, plenty, plentiful answers to all these critiques and objections. Some of the most brilliant minds in the history of the world from every continent have been Christians who have defended and articulated the faith exceedingly well. But those people who critique God's word usually don't want to hear those answers. If you put God's word in the dock, you will fail to see that God's word is straight and right. You will fail to see that God's word is true, beautiful, glorious, and powerful. How do you approach God's word? How do you come to God's word? What is your posture? What is the attitude of your heart? What are your convictions when you come to his holy word? In addition to her words being trustworthy, right, and true, Lady Wisdom gave another reason to listen to her words. In verses 10 through 11, she described the value of her words. She exhorts us to take, to take her instruction over riches because her wisdom is more valuable. She said, all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Wisdom from the Lord is more desirable than money and all the best things money can buy. 
Therefore, be mindful of what you take. Be mindful of what you choose. Be mindful of what you desire. Bruce Waltke writes, whatever you take, takes you. So Lady Wisdom exhorts us to rightly value wisdom over and above the goods of the world. What we see here is similar to what we read in Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 11, which says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. The Lord's wisdom, which we find in his word, in his testimony, in his precepts, in his commandments, in his rules, is more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey. Brothers and sisters, we will only know this when we embrace God's word. When we look to God's word, when we reflect on God's word and meditate on his word. How many times have you read the Bible, shut it, and then quickly forgot what you read? It's hard to enjoy all the glorious benefits of God's word when we don't take time to embrace it, to soak in it, to be saturated in it, to think and meditate on it. But when we do, there are riches for us to enjoy. His word, his wisdom revives our souls, makes us wise, rejoices our hearts, enlightens our eyes. His word, his wisdom is desirable. It is good. It is good for us. In his word we are warned, and keeping his word there is great reward. Let's pray that the Lord will grant it to us to rightly value his word and his wisdom so that we will take his instruction over the riches of the world. In verses 12 through 21, wisdom goes on to describe her righteous character and purposes. In this section, we are reminded of one of the central themes of Proverbs, which is fear of the Lord. Remember, one of the things that makes Proverbs unique among ancient wisdom literature is what we read in chapter 1, verse 7, which says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Well, in our passage this morning, we get a better idea of what the fear of the Lord involves when we read, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. She went on to say, pride, arrogance, the way of evil, and perverted speech, I hate. When we rightly fear the Lord, we will hate the things God hates. Conversely, walking in unrepentant sin reveals that a person does not fear the Lord. True wisdom is rooted in the fear of the Lord, which produces a hatred of evil. I want to encourage you to reflect on this and pray about this. Is there any area of your life that reflects a lack of the fear of the Lord? One way to pray is to pray that the Lord would open your eyes to any blind spots that you may have. To any unrepentant sin in your life, I encourage you, pray, Lord, help me to see my sin so that I do not remain blind to my sin. Help me to see any area of my life where I'm not walking in the fear of the Lord. Lord, open my eyes to help me see. And then pray the Lord will cause you to hate your sin as he hates your sin. Pray the Lord will cause you to hate evil as he hates evil. Pray the Lord will cause you to hate injustice as he hates injustice. While Lady Wisdom hates evil on the one hand, she possesses insight and strength on the other hand. She also walks in the way of righteousness and in the paths of justice. Once again, we see that true wisdom is rooted in the fear of the Lord, which leads us to turn away from sin and walk in righteousness. She said those in authority who rule well do so because they possess wisdom. And it is a good thing when those who are in authority possess true wisdom, for then they will fear the Lord and thus hate evil. Fear of the Lord keeps someone in power from abusing their authority and leads them to use their authority for the good of those whom they rule. A ruler who fears the Lord will use his authority to carry out justice because God hates injustice. God hates the shedding of innocent blood. God hates partiality. God hates when those in, who are in power take bribes. God hates all forms of injustice. And so when those who have authority fear the Lord, they too will hate injustice and use their power to ensure justice. In 2 Samuel chapter 23 verses 2 through 4, we read some of David's words at the very end of his life. He said, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Do you see the blessing that comes when those in authority have wisdom and rule in the fear of the Lord? Oh, it is so good for those whom they rule over. 
It is a blessing. It is a gift. I think we do well to think about this regarding all spheres of authority. I can tell you that our elder team thinks of this often. We consider often the fact that as men whom God has given authority, we are accountable to the Lord for how we use that authority. The Bible says that very explicitly in Hebrews 13, 17. It tells us that leaders will have to give an account to the Lord for how they lead, for how they shepherd, for how they rule. And so we think about the fact that we must give an account to the Lord. Therefore, we try to shepherd and exercise our authority in the congregation with a healthy fear of the Lord, knowing that we give an account to Him. If you are a pastor, a parent, a teacher, law enforcement, a manager, or a government official, you will do well to fear the Lord with the authority He has given you. It is a good thing when those with authority possess wisdom and do what is just and right. We all understand this in regard to our relationship with those who have authority over us. <laughs> we want those who have authority over us to exercise wisdom, to do what is just and right. We understand the benefits of that, the goodness in that. So we ought to pray for those in authority. And if God has granted us authority, we want to pray that God will give us wisdom so that we will fear him, walking in righteousness, doing what is good and right in his eyes. Wisdom leads us to turn from evil and embrace righteousness and leads those in authority to rule well for the good of those under their authority. Moreover, there is a reward for those who seek wisdom. Wisdom brings enduring wealth, which is better than gold, and an inheritance that will last. In verses 22 through 31, wisdom describes her role in creation. The beauty and glory in creation not only testify to the Lord's power, but also to his wisdom. Proverbs 8 reminds us that the Lord is the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. The doctrine of creation runs through all of Scripture. Listen to just a few examples that speak to the importance of this doctrine. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In Isaiah 45.18 we read, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it, He established it. He did not create it empty, He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. In Colossians 1, 15 and 16, Paul, writing about Jesus, said, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, and for him. In Revelation 4.11 we read, Worthy are you, O Lord, 
and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. God who is the one true and living God in his infinite wisdom created everyone and everything according to his sovereign will for his glory. Our understanding of God as the creator is foundational to a biblical worldview. Our worldview is how we understand and make sense of the world. It's how we understand God, the world, and even our own hearts and minds. John Frame writes, In creation, we see God's lordship on display in his control over all things, his authority over all the universe, and his presence in every part of creation. But respecting God's authority as our creator is something that sinful man has a hard time with. For example, a former United States Supreme Court justice once wrote, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. In a decision rendered by the United States Supreme Court, this former justice wrote these words. At the heart of liberty is your right to define your own existence, to define your own meaning, to define life. Well, brothers and sisters, the doctrine of creation says otherwise. The Bible says that God, as the creator of everyone and everything, has the right to define our existence. God and God alone has the right to define meaning, life. He is the one, as our creator, who gives us purpose. He is the one who tells us the meaning of life. Our purpose, our identity, our meaning is not found by looking inward, but by looking upward. We don't find our meaning. We don't find our true identity by looking internally, but by looking to God, our creator. At the pinnacle of his creation was man, whom he created as male and female. Man was unique in his creation, and that man was created in his image. He gave man the unique responsibility of filling the earth, subduing it, and exercising dominion over it. When the Lord finished his work in creation, he affirmed that everything in his creation was good, and he delighted in his creation. Listen again to verses 31 and 32 from Proverbs chapter 8. Then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. God, the creator of everyone and everything, delighted in his creation, delighted in man.
Wow. Creation is one of the ways Lady Wisdom calls out to us. Creation is one of the ways that the Lord's wisdom is clearly on display for us. Creation is one of the ways the Lord loudly, publicly, and indiscriminately reveals himself. So why do so many people fail to know the Lord? Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul answered that question in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power in divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Although Lady Wisdom calls aloud, Although what can be known about God is plain to us because God has clearly shown it to us, mankind ignores the Lord and suppresses the truth through our unrighteousness. It goes back to what we see at the beginning of chapter 8. To miss Lady Wisdom, to fail to hear her call, is a matter of willful ignorance. It is a matter of suppressing the truth. This is a problem. And Proverbs 8 impresses on us the weight of this problem in the final verses. In verses 32 through 36, we read wisdom's concluding appeal. Wisdom, who has been with the Lord from the foundation of the world, who leads us in the way of righteousness, who richly rewards those who seek her and take her over the riches of the world, calls us and tells us what is at stake. The one who listens, watches, and waits for wisdom will be blessed. And the reward will be far greater than anything money can buy. The one who diligently seeks wisdom will find her, and with wisdom comes life and favor from the Lord. On the other hand, those who neglect and hate wisdom, failing to find her, will suffer the consequences, namely injury and death. Wisdom raises her voice and urgently delivers her message because what's at stake is nothing less than life and death. The consequence of neglecting wisdom is more severe than you realize, but the benefit of gaining wisdom is better than you can imagine. Brothers and sisters, this points to the truth of the gospel as we see in Romans 6 23 which says for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. The first and most important response required by wisdom is to trust in the Lord with all of your heart by placing your faith in the one who is the embodiment of wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 30 through 31, we read, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. God created everything good. But mankind sinned against God. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sinning against him, and everyone thereafter has sinned against God and is therefore deserving of death. If God were merely to give us what we deserve, we would all receive death. But God in his mercy and his kindness, his extraordinary love, provided a way to save sinners like you and I. And he did so by sending Jesus Christ into the world as the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ came into the world to save his people from our sins. He lived the perfect life without sin, which we have all failed to do. And then he went to the cross to take the punishment we deserve in our place, absorbing God's wrath for us. He died as a substitute taking the punishment for our sins. After he was buried, he rose from the grave, conquering death, and he appeared to hundreds of people, proving that he is alive. And after 40 days, he ascended into heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And friends, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Our only hope on the day of judgment is Jesus Christ. The good news is that everyone who repents of their sins and believes in Christ, will be saved. Do not miss out on this great salvation. If you are not a Christian, our greatest hope and desire and prayer for you is that today you will repent of your sins, that you will believe in Christ and be saved. Failure to do so is foolishness. In Christ you will find life and favor from the Lord. If you are a Christian, don't allow your heart to grow cold or your faith to become complacent. In 2 Peter 3.18, we read, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. In Proverbs 8, the Lord appeals to us through Solomon's personification of wisdom as a lady calling out to us loudly, publicly, and indiscriminately. In his appeal, the Lord exhorts us to gain wisdom, understanding the rewards of succeeding in this endeavor and the consequences of failure. We will succeed when we put our faith in Christ and continue to grow in him, seeking him in his word, in prayer, 
in the community of believers. As we give the Lord our attention, as we rightly value and feel the weight of his words, as we heed his voice, as we seek wisdom in him, we will find life and enjoy the Lord's favor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. Your word is a precious gift. So we pray that we will be those who approach your word with humility, placing ourselves under your word, that we might see its beauty, that we might see and know that it is straight, that it is right, that it is good. We pray you would help us to be people who delight in your word, who not only read your word, but reflect on your word, meditating on your word, applying your word to our hearts and lives. Help us to be those who can testify that your word is good, that your word rejoices our hearts, revives our souls, enlightens our eyes. Grant that to us, we pray. We pray that we will walk in wisdom, paying attention to your voice. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.